continuing our study for those that are, might be listening on the podcast, First Peter two twenty one through twenty five. Uh, <clears throat> you know, there's uh, many sermons that can be found from this passage, um, but that's not my intent here this evening. Not to deliver a sermon. Uh, our intent this evening is to try to figure out why this particular passage is within 1 Peter and where it's at, and then what does it actually say, uh, and then how do we apply that to us today. So there is a little bit of of a learning uh, in application to us today, but really what we're trying to accomplish is trying to figure out what does this passage say. And so there will be one reference uh, outside of 1 Peter 2. I think it will be a little obvious when we get there as to why. Uh, that is the case, but so though there are many sermons, and I've used this particular passage many times when I'm doing another sermon, and I, I picked this passage to put in there because there's a lot to it uh, and a lot of different things you can do with it. But I want to put it into context uh, in First Peter. So to begin with, remember that he is writing to a holy nation. Uh, he's he's told us that we are a special people, a peculiar people. We are a part of, of uh, who, uh, of that holy nation, of who God has made us to be. Remember chapter 1, that we are a holy uh, people, that God is holy, therefore be holy. We have been made holy, all those different things. And so we are part of a holy nation. And based on the fact that we are a part of a holy nation that's greater He says we are pilgrims and sojourners, which means that we uh, are here on earth and wherever that might be, whatever nation we might belong to, we don't really belong to that nation. We have a higher uh, nation that we belong to, and that is the kingdom of God. And so we are just strangers. We're just pilgrims. We're just sojourners. I looked up that word sojourner because we don't ever use that word unless we use it in the Bible terms. Uh, So I thought I need to understand what it means. It just means someone who's on a journey, someone who's not at, at home. Uh, so it's someone who's a pilgrim and sojourner. So that's what we are. We're strangers uh, here. And so he's talking specifically to those that have been scattered around Asia. And he tells us that the whole context is to submit to authority, even if you might suffer. So the whole concept is that we submit And there might be occasion that we would suffer. And so he tells us that that's what it is. And I just want you to know that the entire letter of 1 Peter is that right there. That's the whole point of 1 Peter. That we belong to God as a a higher nation than the nation that we live in. But we are pilgrims and sojourners in the nation that we live in. And because of that, we submit or we suffer. We are the standard bearers, as he talks about. Uh, here in this context of chapter 2 where the standard bears for all that is good and all that is right and so that's why we exemplify those things that we would I'm going to put it in today's terms just for our sake but that's why we wear masks uh, because Tulsa has put out that because that's what we're supposed to do we're so supposed to submit we don't have to agree we just have to submit you may suffer wearing a mask I hate it too okay uh but that's and we're barely suffering if we're if we are at all really but uh as we're going to get into uh, a greater suffering here in just a moment uh 
So that is the entire book. But in the narrower context, he also talks about how we should submit and or suffer at the hands of the government to submit and or suffer as a slave to our master. And so that's the overall context. And, you know, we've, we have studied the Apostle Paul. We've studied Romans. We have studied First uh, and Second Corinthians. And in Second Peter, Peter says that sometimes Paul is hard to read and hard to understand. That's why I like Peter. Peter kind of has a system. My OCD kicks in and I like it. Uh, as far as what Peter does, Peter says, this is who you are. Do this. Christ did this. This is who you are. Do this. Christ did this. And so we're at the Christ did this part of this part uh, uh, section. And so I, I like that he does that. It makes it real easy to understand. So we're going to see over and over again this same pattern. We're a holy nation. We're pilgrims and sojourners. Submit and or suffer. And then he's going to go into who. Uh, we are to submit and or suffer to. And then he's going to talk about how Christ did it. And it's it, all throughout. And so uh, this is the conclusion to the government and to the masters of the slaves. Uh, forgot I had the little diagram there. The immediate context. Okay. So let's get into this uh, passage. For to this you were called. So what does he mean by this? Well, the very same thing we've been talking about. This is the submission or suffering. It says and suffering, but it should be and or suffering. So whatever uh, we are charged to do, we're charged to submit and we're charged to suffer, whether that be to the government or whether that be to our master. Uh, in today's terms, to the government or possibly to our employer. Uh, and if, you're, if you are an employer, it's going to be to the customer. So in some way or another, we're in service to someone else, okay? So let's put it in today's terms. Uh, but he says, for to this you were called. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about that submission and that suffering. Then he says, because Christ also suffered for us. Uh, we're going to get into this quite a bit. That's what this entire passage is about, is about Christ's suffering. But because we are a holy nation and because we belong to Him, and because He suffered, and He suffered much more than we have suffered. And now, to them that he was writing to, they were going to suffer much more than we have ever suffered as well. Many martyrs in that day, uh, many people who died for the cause of Jesus Christ, just for naming Christ, uh, but here the example that he gives us is the fact that Jesus <coughs> suffered. And so he says, he left us an example. An example is something that you should follow. Now, when I think about following in his steps, the more confidence we have in the individual that we're following, the more likely we are to put our footprints in his. If I know that Jesus endured the suffering that he endured, and he left for me an example, then I can take that leap of faith, so to speak, and I can step just where he stepped. If there's a cause for me to be crucified on a cross because I'm naming the name of Christ, he's already shown me that I can do it. And therefore, I would step into his step. Now, take, uh, take that back a little bit, and whatever that cause might be, whatever suffering I might suffer, I just do it. 
uh, because Christ suffered and so much more than I will. And so uh, I want to look at Isaiah chapter 53. This is the one reference. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn to Isaiah 53. If you don't have a Bible with you that's not electronic, uh, or even if, if whatever version you might have uh, in front of you, there are uh, Bibles, should be Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. So uh, we are going to read from Isaiah chapter 53. The reason we're going to go ahead and read this is because that's the pattern and example that Peter uses to illustrate the suffering of Jesus. Now, of course, the people that he's writing to are those who probably were Jewish and had a background in Old Testament. So they would have known the prophets. And so, therefore, I think it's important that we understand what the prophet says in Isaiah 53. And I think we're going to see that throughout uh, the reading. Beginning of verse 1 says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked but with the rich at his death, because, no, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Now that we read that, and as we go back through 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, you will see, if you didn't know already, uh, that Isaiah 53 is all through this thing. <laughs> so I wanted to kind of give that backdrop so that we understood, because that's exactly what they would have understood. So let's start here with uh, the idea that uh, Jesus being the example in that he uh, committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth. <coughs> that was a direct quote from Isaiah 53 and verse 9 uh, there at the end of that verse if you didn't notice that. but So uh, he committed no sin. So whatever happened to him, he still didn't sin. So there might have been times in Jesus' life, or there certainly were times in Jesus' life that he was tempted. He was tempted by the devil. Uh, and we know that it was very tempting after 40 days of not eating a single thing. You know he was hungry. And you know that he wanted to turn that, that stone into bread. But he didn't. Uh, so he was tempted by Jesus. All those things. He knew what he would have to face. 
in order to have the power that he was given when the keys of the kingdom were given. Uh, and certainly he would have, that kingdom was turned over to him. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, that's the kingdom that he would establish. Satan offered him the easy way. Satan said, if you'll just bow down to me, I'll give it to you freely. He certainly could have had that, but he didn't take the easy way out, did he? He chose rather to suffer. So he didn't sin. But I think of any time that there would have been a temptation, the greatest temptation ever to sin would have been the time that Judas betrayed him to the time that he said, I give up, the, and to the time that he gave up the ghost. That was the most challenging time because at any moment he could have given up. At any moment he could have committed a sin. At any moment he could have found deceit in his mouth, but it did, he didn't. That word deceit, by the way, uh, you find in Hebrew or Genesis chapter 3, it's a different word because the one in 1 Peter is Greek. The one in, uh, in Genesis 3 is Hebrew, so they're different words. But it's the same concept. That word deceit is the same, similar word that you would find that the, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. He was tricky. He was crafty. He was cunning. All those different types of words. He was a deceiver. Now with Jesus, he was not a deceiver, and that's evident by the fact that he went all the way through uh, the suffering of the cross. So when he says, who committed no sin, as he is quoting Isaiah 53, he says, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, he goes in and talks about the very fact that he did not do that, and he elaborates on that. He says, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return there were people who were there that said nasty things about Jesus almost pulled a trump on you went very nasty uh, they said very nasty things to him they said very nasty things about him they mocked him they accused him of doing things uh, that he didn't do ironically the thing that stuck that got him crucified was the fact that he said he was the son of God and the king of the Jews. And it's ironic because he was the son of God and he was and is the king of the Jews. So they accused him of blasphemy for saying such things. So they came at him with everything that they had, with every kind of speech that they had, but not, he did not do that in return. He didn't complain. So we went to a restaurant this evening. And as we're, as we're waiting for our waiter uh, to bring us, just, just to come take my order for water, okay? Just as I'm waiting for that. I'm looking at my watch that doesn't work. And you might wonder why I'm still wearing it. It is a Fitbit. It still syncs to my phone. I still get at least the steps that I'm supposed to be taking. But I can't look at it for the time. But I kept looking at the time. I pulled out my phone and finally got the time. You know what I started doing? I started complaining at the fact that he was not a very speedy uh, waiter. His name was Adam, by the way. So if you go to Monterey's down here, just know that Adam's going to be a bit slow. Uh, so no offense to you, Adam, if you listen to the podcast. I started, it, what I'm saying is, that's my bad. That's on me. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't complain. Now, if somebody had something to complain about, it was Christ. He didn't do it. 
He didn't gripe. He didn't complain. He didn't come at them. He didn't berate them for anything. Uh, he didn't scold them. He didn't give them a tongue lashing or a chewing out. None of that. He just took it. So, he committed no sin, and nor was deceit found in his mouth. He didn't say something he shouldn't have said. On top of that, when he suffered, and certainly he suffered, didn't he? He suffered, as we, we know, he suffered with a crown of thorns, he suffered with beatings, he, he suffered with lashings, he suffered with spitting on, he was mocked, all those things, and ultimately the cross. So he suffered, certainly. But he did not threaten. You say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean to threaten? <clears throat> Good thing you asked, because I had to look it up too. What exactly does he mean? Well, it means not to offer a threat of a punishment. And in the case of Jesus, it certainly would have been justified. Certainly Jesus, as he said, he could have called 12 legions of angels, 12,000 angels that would have been there at his aid. I don't believe that necessarily that means that 12 legions of angels just would have taken care of him. I think he would have taken care of them or they would have taken care of them. When the wrath of God is revealed in heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. So those angels certainly could carry out uh, that very punishment that those people deserved. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 17 when they were commanded not to preach, they were threatened not to preach. Because that was punishable. That's what they were saying. Acts chapter 9 and verse uh, 1, when Saul was going about breathing threatenings to the church, what was he saying? I'm going to punish you for saying that you believe in Jesus Christ. So when they punished Christ, he did not even threaten to punish them. That's what it's saying. He did not return evil for evil but instead he committed himself to him who judges righteously so instead of lashing out or acting out in vengeance what he did was he turned the matter over to God and he let God take care of it and God is in is going to handle it perfectly we're going to find out in just a moment how God handled that perfectly and how he judged righteously is he he used that very same sacrifice that Jesus made to justify the very people who was making him suffer. And in our way, we might think, well, that's just not right. And I want you to know something about 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25 right here. This was very anti-Roman teaching. If you are a Roman citizen, you would not look at this and go, that's the way it ought to be. This was very anti-Jewish way of thinking as an as an Israelite you would you wouldn't look at this and think well that's the way I ought to be no we got to stand up for our rights we got to stand up against the Roman government I have been set free by Jesus Christ and therefore I'm at liberty I don't have to follow my master even when he's making me do certain things that I don't want to do so this is not this is very anti-Rome it's very anti and what I mean by that is nationalism. It's not a nationalist way of thinking. And certainly, because of that, it's very un-American. Well, I've got a right to protect myself. I've got a right to do this or that. That's not what this is talking about. 
It's exactly the opposite. This is a very un-American <laughs> way of looking at things. But it is a, a very holy nation way of looking at things. Because that's what our king did. And that's the king that we belong to. Not the government of the United States or Rome or King David if he were on the throne. So he committed himself or he handed it over as a matter to God, all of it, so that he would judge the matter perfectly. Then he goes on and says, who himself bore our sins in his own body. So the idea of uh, bearing the sins carries with it the idea of a lamb being sacrificed for the sins of the people. So he bore our sins in his own body. Think about the Old Testament and you had the, the lamb uh, that would be the scapegoat. I guess it was a goat. So uh, the scapegoat, the priest would take all the sins of the people and would lay his hands on them and, and, and cause the sin to go to them and then he was cast out. Well, that's Jesus for us. Now, he's every sacrifice from the trespass to the sin offering to whatever offering to the sin of a, to the a day of atonement, all those things that Christ is wrapped up in in one. Uh, but that's the idea is that he's that sacrificial lamb uh, that was offered on the altar. Now, the altar that he was sacrificed on was not the altar of sacrifice that the Jews knew, but rather on the tree. And the idea of the tree is a very interesting one. Now this is the, just the way I see it. We sang a song just before the reading about the old rugged cross. And when we think about the cross, that's typically what we think of. We think of a cross. But Peter here uses the term tree. Now, one of the reasons he does that is one of the prophecies that was given was uh, about the fact that he would hang on a tree. And certainly he did that. Uh, and that was a cursed thing. Matter of fact, uh, that was to die a criminal's death would be to die hanging on a tree. And so that's one reason why he does that. But I, my personal opinion, you can take this for what it's worth. I'm, I'm going to tell you when it's my personal opinion. This one's mine. Okay? Uh, I believe he uses tree for a reason. The tree is where we get wood. And I know that's really oversimplifying things. Follow me here for just a moment. So the tree provides the wood, certainly for the cross, which was the Roman government, the way that they dealt with criminals. On the other hand, if you were a master and you had a slave, a lot of times you would put them in a wooden stock. And there you would administer punishment to them, which would be through lashing. I think the tree is, yes, it's about him suffering and dying on the tree, certainly. But I think in context, he's also helping us understand broader than that, in that the government would uh, cause people to die on a cross. The master, on the other hand, would not want his servant to die. He's his property. He's his helper. He certainly wouldn't want that. So rather... He would give him the punishment. So we are told that to follow his steps. Just in the way that he suffered on the tree, we're told to do the same. Now I'm going to, we don't think in terms like this. 
about those types of things. We don't have crosses anymore that people die from, and we certainly aren't putting stocks or anything like that. But uh, let's take it to today a little bit. We're going to get in later on about uh, how to how to do these. But I want to look at this idea. If the government throws you into prison or your boss gives you a lecture and perhaps he or she really comes down on you, perhaps even leading to a firing, suffer. Because he did. Walk in his steps. Don't sin. Don't lash out. We just take it. We endure it. And sometimes suffering is real and sometimes suffering is perceived. A lot of times we think something is unfair, may not be unfair, may not be uh, unjust at all. That's why we hand it over to God. We'll get into that in just a little bit. The idea here, though, is that whatever we're being dealt, and it, it may be completely unfair, it was not fair to the early church that just announcing the name of Jesus meant that they would be taken to prison and some of them even killed. That Stephen would be stoned to death for preaching a sermon. That's not fair. It certainly wasn't fair for Jesus either. So whether real or whether perceived doesn't matter. We follow Jesus and we do what he did. Whether it's to prison, to death, or punishment of any kind. Then he says that we having died to sins, and in this, if the only time that that's referenced, that dying to sin, that's referenced in baptism. And that's in Romans chapter 6. So we die to sins that we might live for righteousness. That holy nation, that calling that we've been called to, called to be holy. We live for righteousness. Also in baptism, we rise to walk in newness of life, having been set free from sin, we've been made alive to righteousness. So we live for righteousness and he says by whose stripes you were healed it's with the punishment that was given to Jesus that takes the punishment away from us so that we can be healed from the disease of sin and in verse 25 he says for you were like sheep going astray but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls so we were like sheep we were wandering around in the pasture perhaps we got beyond that we were just kind of wandering around looking for the next bit of green grass, looking for the next drink, and perhaps we even missed it. But now, because of Jesus, we've turned to the provider and protector. We now turn to the supervisor and superintendent of our souls. That's what shepherd and bishop or overseer are. I almost went King James on you. So that's what we turn to now. Okay, so just as Peter used Isaiah 53, which was written hundreds of years before the first century, hundreds of years before he would have ever needed that, he recalled that in order to teach some lessons to those that he was writing to in 1 Peter chapter 2. So today, we take 1 Peter chapter 2 so that we can learn the lessons that we need to learn today. We need to be like Jesus. Yeah. I know that's really simple sounding, but that's, that's what the passage is about, right? We need to be like Jesus when it comes to suffering and submitting. So when something fair 
or unfair, real or perceived, happens to us, we don't lash out. We don't gossip. We don't complain. We don't scold anyone. Really, he just says we keep our mouth shut and deal with it. Because that's what Jesus did. Like a, like a lamb, as we read in Isaiah 53, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and he kept his mouth shut. So that's what we need to do. Number two, don't seek revenge. <clears throat> Just give you a little insight into my personality. My personality is, is I'm not aggressively going to seek out revenge. I'm going to passive aggressively <laughs> seek out revenge. And that's... Either way, I've got to work on that. So, uh, a passive-aggressive type of response might be if, let's say for a moment, that uh, my neighbor keeps parking in front of my house. And it frustrates me because I want to, at times, park in front of my house. But he keeps parking there. So, what do I do? My passive-aggressive revenge would be, as soon as he moves the car, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my car right there, so I make sure and block him out. Or I, I have known of people that put stuff actually in the street uh, to keep their neighbor from parking there. That's a very passive-aggressive behavior thing to do. We're seeking revenge to get what we want because we think that somehow they are being unfair to us or wronging us in some way. So don't seek revenge, whether it's, uh, aggressive or passive aggressive number three just give it to God let God be God he is fair and he is just so what we might think is unfair God might deem fair it may be our perception, but he knows the difference between the perception and the reality. And so he is going to be completely fair. He is going to be completely just. So give it to him. So my neighbor parks in front of my yard and I don't like it. If that's not where he's supposed to park, I just let God be God and, and take care of it. Ultimately, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> so, you know, as far as who parks where and all that kind of thing, that was just an illustration. But... That's the idea. Number four, as Jesus did, trust the outcome to God. Because Jesus did what he did, we are what we are. It turned out in our favor, didn't it? Because he was willing to go to the cross as a sacrificial lamb for us on the tree, we have now been separated from sins, and now we live for righteousness. Now, like sheep, we were once astray. Now we are with Jesus as a shepherd and overseer of our soul. We're not just wandering around anymore. We have a purpose and all those things. So what Jesus suffered turned out to the good of mankind, right? So whatever we might suffer, trust the outcome to God. Trust Him that He's going to do the very best thing. Because here's the thing, remember, this all starts with the fact that we are pilgrims and sojourners. That whatever we might suffer, even if it's to the point of death, that's better, isn't it? 
Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is what? Is gain. And so even if we suffer to the point of death, that's better. If we suffer for righteousness' sake, as he talks about throughout the book of 1 Peter, and someone comes to Christ because the fact that we have been suffering wrongly or unfairly, but we're still enduring, we're still being that standard, and somebody says, you know what? That's wrong what we're doing to them. And so they begin to glorify God. Trust the outcome to God. And that's the idea. So we don't lash out. We don't seek revenge. We give it to God and we trust the outcome to Him regardless of what short-sighted view we might have. And it's certainly going to... He has an eternal view that we don't have. And we're not going to have that uh, perfect eternal view. And so it's going to be difficult at times. Suffering is suffering for a reason. (laughs) It doesn't feel good. So he says, endure it. So that's the message of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. The idea is no matter what, we surrender ourselves to God. We surrender ourselves to Jesus. Whatever suffering he went through is nothing, and we, we, we we're not going to suffer anything like that. So just surrender to him because he is the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. So if we can help you to surrender to Him, whether it be obeying Him in the Gospel, by being baptized, being separated from sin, and now living righteously by His sacrificial, uh, by sacrifice, uh, by dying on the tree, or if you need prayers of the church, uh, because maybe you haven't been uh, living the holy life like, like you ought to be, We are a holy nation. We are together in this, and we're going to work together towards that. So if we can help you out in either way, let us know by coming into the front and sitting down as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.